It's Monday, October 4th, and today's show is the best of the best of the month of September. Oh, stories of the fall. Thank you, thank you. That was the sound of our guest ensemble, the St. Louis Aquarium Choir. Hello, dear friends. I'm Assistant Pastor Hurley Barflyer here at the One Way Light Church in Tipping Point, Washington. We are gathered in the Hello Kitty Sanctuary to give thanks for all we have taken from others and to take back the world where that can happen again. I now have the pleasure of bringing to the pulpit a man whose books and tapes have inspired us all. He's on a national megachurch tour promoting his new book, From Zero Sum to Dim Sum. Welcome, Cubby Vineline. Well, thank you, Hurley, and thanks for the gift of my beautiful birth certificate necklace here. (laughs) If only our so-called president would wear one around his neck, then we could all put away the terrible fear that he is the reincarnation of Saladin, the seed of Islam, risen from the tar sands of Araby to build a mosque upon the White House, turn us from west to east, from pork to lamb, from urban to turban. I look at my watch and ask myself, is it too late? I open the door on an empty future and wonder aloud, in this great struggle to regain our eternal prosperity and unquestioned dominance, need we fight alone? No! 1.3 billion pagans stand ready to join us in this glorious crusade. But, and this is the but we have to sit on and think this through, but we can't ask the hungry multitudes of the Middle Kingdom to sacrifice for us unless we are willing to sacrifice for them. We consume 25 times the resources they do, and while I think we definitely deserve it, We're going to have to cut back until together we own the world. See this bag. It's filled with egg rolls, sweet and sour pork, mooshu beef and orange chicken. Take out, taken from the very mouths that will join us in the mighty mission. I say to you, I say to you, no more take out. No more takeout until we've taken our muscle cars back from the muscle men. No more Chinese food until all the Chinese have food. Please join me now. No more Chinese food till all Chinese have food. 
No more Chinese food till all Chinese have food. No more Chinese food till all Chinese have food. No more Chinese food till all Chinese As I scan the media preparing for a new show, I call it Trolling the Woe, I'm increasingly convinced that five months ago, I gave the American people far too much credit for common sense and thoroughly overrated their ability to recognize their own best self-interests and see the bigger picture at the same time. I figured all those pudgy, white, middle-class boobs dressed up as George Washington Light would self-destruct and return to the flat-screen reality they left at home. I failed to factor in the entitlement quotient. I didn't calculate the distance from high up on the hog, where a whole lot of Americans have been living, to the common ground below. What a leap of faith. You could bust up your unconscious, unsustainable lifestyle taking a jump like that. So, they whine and whimper. Why is everything suddenly falling apart? What happened to all our endless home equity, platinum credit, and bulging 401ks? It can't be our fault. We're the heroic 5% of the world's population consuming 25% of the world's resources. It's a conspiracy. We're victims of the not-me. That not-me Obama who's going to build a mosque on the top of the White House and call us all to health care. That not-me the immigrant who's out stealing the jobs we won't take. That not-me the progressive who's really Che in Mao's clothing or Hitler cross-dressing as Stalin. All we have to do is vote everybody out of office and then wait until somebody gives us back our Constitution and our good old way of life. And how dare these half-baked couch potatoes usurp the noble brand of the Boston Tea Party? They're not putting their livelihood and personal safety at risk with a brave act of civil disobedience in the face of hostile occupying troops. They're not up on Bunker Hill trading bullets with the British Army. They're nothing more and nothing less than a gaggle of angry drones being joysticked by bigots and billionaires. Yes, we've got a lot of everything in this land of ours. And a lot of places to put it in. And maybe that's where you fit in. Mr. and Mrs. John Q. Smith from Anytown, USA. Come on, big fella. Take this guitar, put on this wide belt work shirt, and tell it like it was. Well, you know, there are um, statistics in the New York Times all the time. These kind of, uh, they're not always on the op-ed page, but this one was. I thought I'd just give you a little hint as to what the, uh, um, you know, the, the polls are saying out there. 65% of Americans say that religion is an important part of their daily lives. Let me repeat that, 65%. That's, tr- that's terrific. I mean, in terms of numbers, that makes us a very, very religious nation. Absolutely. That is compared with 30% of the French, 27% of the the British, 24% of the Japanese. Uh-huh. And now, the Italians are probably way down there. Well, on the, on the, on the scale of po- poor countries being most religious, they in fact are, including Indonesia, Thailand, Tunisia, Malaysia, India, obviously, these the hugely all, religious yeah, country. Yeah. But the United States is the most religious country in the world, 
that is a has a hugely developed economy. Everybody else is like Argentina and Italy and Greece. These, you know, they're not doing so well. Here. No, look at us. Oh my, oh my, that's amazing. So we're we just, are the richest just... country and one of the most religious in your daily life, whatever that means. And we're and today. we're paying dearly for it in some ways. I mean, nothing. The two things I fear, Dave. I fear this mixture of religion and politics. I tell you. By the way, I found out Glenn Beck is a Mormon, so that completely confuses me exactly where he's coming from. That's all right. And and then the other thing that bothers me: all these mercenaries that we're hiring, hundreds of thousands of them. If you look at it, what are they going to do when they come back? They've only got one skill. They do, and that that is really scary. We're, we have it isn't just bad enough to train murderous youth to go out in, in combat, which is one sort of training warfare. It's another thing to hire. Though you know where it is. Hey guys out there, join me in this thought. It's the CIA. The CIA in bed with Blackwater. And and all of these mercenary people, these assets, they are completely out of control. There's no question that the CIA is running, as far as I can see, everything it, behind the army. They're just shooting and dying behind the State Department. They're just going and hi, President Karzai. You are you have how much have you stolen today, sir? I am very good. Come on, I mean it's the CIA. Unregulated. You know that they haven't had an inspector general. I did a piece on this yeah. for 17 months. They only have one person that can do actual investigations of what they're up to. And for 17 months, he hasn't even been nominated by Obama. And we don't know how long it's going to take to get through. And what does the Obama administration say yes, when please. they say, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're worried about – this is a guy from the Bush administration saying yeah. we're worried about the fact that a lot of this stuff they're doing is, is not being regulated and, and goes against humanitarian laws and various other stuff. Trust me, basically. Trust me. We're the ones that are stopping torturing, and we're going to close Guantanamo. So trust me. No, no, I don't trust no, you. No, it's the the CIA is a clear and present danger to the American democracy, to, and must be shrunk if we are to survive as that democracy. And if they're all heavily religious, it's oh. even a worse problem. Oh. So who knows? Sixty five percent of them oh. <clears throat> every day. I don't want to think about. No. It. Okay. I just did. The Coward's War goes on and on and on. This from Newsweek. International interest in events in Pakistan may have shifted to the humanitarian crisis caused by floods and a fresh wave of terrorist bombings, but three reported attacks with drone-borne missiles last weekend serve as a reminder that an intense secret U.S. air campaign is continuing against alleged terrorist targets in the country's tribal regions. Notice the word alleged. Alleged terrorists. Oh my, that's like being 116th Jewish in Nazi Germany, or something like it. The Voice of America's website quoted Pakistani officials saying that three suspected attacks with missiles from U.S.-operated drones killed at least 15 people in the North Waziristan region along Pakistan's border with Afghanistan. And I ask you, by the way, what threat to the American homeland is 15 people in Waziristan? According to this report, the first attack in a village called Dunde Darpaikel was aimed at a compound used by a member of the Haqqani Network, an Afghan Taliban group that for some time has been operating mainly from the Pakistani side of the border. Hey, talk about blowback? Haqqani? This is the group of mercenaries run by the son whose father was completely supported by the CIA during the time when we stuck our thumb up the ass of the Soviets for being in Afghanistan. And guess what? Take 
stick out your thumb, and we're there now. In another of the latest incidents, a drone-borne missile reportedly killed four militants. I love it. Terror- What's the difference between a militant, a terrorist, and an insurgent, right? I, you know, I don't know. During World War II, they had those outlines of the silhouettes of airplanes so you could look up at the sky and say, oh, that's a kamikaze and a, that's a Piper Cub. But what does a silhouette of a militant and an insurgent and a terrorist look like? Oh, my. Anyway, these drone-borne missiles the coward's way, the joystick jockeys, uh, killed four militants who were riding in a vehicle near a town called Datakel. A third missile struck near Miran Shah, a major town in North Waziristan, also allegedly killing four militants. Hey, how does it feel to be allegedly killed? And, And who marked these people as insurgents? Memories of the Phoenix program in Vietnam come to mind when we killed so-called Vietcom sympathizers on the word of somebody in a village. It was a great way of getting rid of somebody who owed you money uh, or whose position you wanted to take over or whose wife you lusted after. Now, I don't think the joystick jockeys in Las Vegas who are sending these hellfire missiles up the asses of these alleged militants are lusting after their wives. I think they're getting some other kind of kick out of it. U.S. officials say the drone campaign against suspected terrorist encampments in Pakistani tribal areas has proceeded at a relatively steady pace despite the country's internal upheavals. Yeah, they lose 20% of their arable land. They are in complete crisis, and we're droning them. And that the three drone strikes represent a steady continuation of the campaign rather than an intensification of the American-backed secret war. Oh, I just love secret wars. Officials said the targets of the latest drone strikes are believed, believed, believed by who and to what end, believed to have included both foreign fighters. Oh, there's a fourth silhouette. We got militants, insurgents, terrorists, and foreign fighters, and they're affiliated with Al-Qaeda or the Taliban and native Pakistani or Afghan fighters. U.S. policymakers say they believe the recent wave of bombings attributed to the Pakistani Taliban demonstrates why U.S. forces and those allies in the Pakistani government who are not otherwise beleaguered cannot afford to let up pressure, even in times of great crisis on suspected militant encampments. The army is becoming boosters for drones. Keep them coming, they say. We need the paychecks. The drones are running the CIA. They're running the DOD. Man, we are in deep doo-doo. A U.S. official familiar with recent events noted, You're seeing the continuation of a long, precise campaign to erode the ability of terrorists to operate in the tribal areas. Erosion. Attrition. Hearts and minds. It's a nightmare. That includes attack planners, facilitators, and fighters. It's a reminder that Al-Qaeda and its violent allies may be bleeding, but they're still out there and they're still very dangerous. So, it's a war of erosion. Now, good old attrition where we trade high-tech unmanned bombs for an endless flow of insurgents. (laughs) Well, many of those surgeons, we find out, have been turned into Taliban because of the very drone strikes. We are so fucked. Well, marijuana is making its way across the states as medical marijuana initially, as we know. But the, the day will come when recreational use of, of 
pot will be legal, and there won't be stories like this. Uh, I'm going to miss it. Uh Oh, okay. A Montana teen looking to buy marijuana tried to text a drug dealer, but hit the wrong number and instead hooked up with the county sheriff. The message, hey, dog. Do you have a $20 I can buy right now? No, uh, first of all, wait a minute. What is a 20-year-old Montana boy doing calling his dealer dog? Hey, like dog. Like there's some sort of hood in Montana. Yeah, yeah. Well, the the existence of the hood is a state of mind. Yes, go, it is. Go ahead. All right, so the independent record of Helena reports that Sheriff Leo Dutton initially suspected a prank, but quickly realized, quickly realized, he's sharp, it was the real deal and messaged back, how much we talking? I guess he was trying to be, he was trying to text like dog. Uh-huh, uh-huh. The sheriff then helped set up a meeting with an undercover drug officer who busted the buyer and a teenage friend. And took his $20 bill away from him. Yeah. Well, uh, but but here's the thing. Wait, wait a minute. What? He didn't bust the deal going down. He posed, right? Okay, poseur. Right. The newspaper said the teens turned white and their knees began to wobble. Wait a minute. Were they African-American before this happened? And then oh, turned white? Oh, then they white, turned white? And their knees began to wobble when the detective uh-huh. showed his badge. I wonder if this also made Deputy Dan's day. Mm. The officers decided not to issue a citation, the newspaper says, but instead got the teen's parents involved. Sure. That was, of course, one of the people he was texting. Trying to buy drugs is a crime, but it's probably worse that they had to face their parents, Dutton tells the paper. Ho, ho, ho. Real plain speaking, Montana. Oh, life in the in the wilderness of the upper, is that the upper Midwest? Where the hell is Montana? Anyway? I don't know, dog. <laughs> I was performing with Phil Proctor in Madison, Wisconsin in the mid-70s, uh, sharing the bill with Patty Smith. Driving into the venue's parking garage, I was treated to a large graffiti that read, Eat the Rich. I thought it was apt then, and I think it's a whole lot more apt now. The economic cancer that's eating away at our society is the unbelievable and ultimately unbearable income disparity between the rich and everybody else. On today's Oz, uh, I'm reading uh, a piece by Timothy Nash in Slate called The Great Divergence. He points out that in 1915, when we were displacing Britain as the richest nation on the planet, our wealthiest 1% accounted for 18% of the nation's income. Today, that figure is an outrageous 24%. The widening of this chasm uh, wasn't spread out over the century. It erupted in the last two decades. And now, here we are, going broke state by state business by business, household by household, individual by individual, while a small, tight-knit cabal of multimillionaires and multi-multimillionaires take control of the political process. Today, I'm quoting from an article in Bloomberg about how the most politically conservative Supreme Court since the New Deal decided that money, regardless of how much is gathered at one point to do the damage, is free speech unleashing the ultra-rich super PACs with the jovial, ever-jowly Karl Rove running with the big dogs again. Thank DARPA, or Dharma, your choice, for the internet. An Excalibur pulled out of the lake just in time to do battle with this tax-free propaganda juggernaut and Fox's stable of hydra-headed hooligans and altar-boy bullies. At some level of their consciousness, the super-rich, along with everybody else, knows that the whole thing is coming apart. 
The response since the Bush coup light in 2004 has been a pell-mell rush to fascism. Not the black leather and strut fascism of Benito Mussolini. America is developing its own brand with its own icons and its own enemies. But it's fascism nonetheless. The conflation of government, finance, military, and the conclave of Christian ayatollahs appearing in megachurches and mall fronts everywhere. Right now, brand new American fascism is doing just fine because the bulk of the people who can and will eventually do something about it are still in shock. No surprise. It all happened pretty fast and at the end of an equity bubble that was a soft ride for anybody who had any real estate on them at the time. Boom dot burst. All gone. No bueno. Now we have to pull ourselves together and solve this on our own. We can't wait for big government, Wall Street, the DOD, CIA, and the inerrant to play house with us. Their tools and toys are so big and so expensive that they choose to play only with each other, but with our money. There's nothing immoral, unethical, or unnatural about a 95% tax rate for super wealth, a lifting of the corporate veil, aren't we an AFPAC to lift veils, a moratorium on all domestic drilling, a decommissioning of all nuclear weapons, and on and on, dear friends. We're not alone. My next blog is about all the hackers, homeboys, Hecates, and heroes waiting in the wings to help get the new New Deal off the ground. Hello, Ozaneers. That's what I call the couple grand of you who every day download this show and put it in your ears. I have a favor, okay? I'm looking for some of you to help us promote Radio Free Oz on Twitter. This is one of the ways we're going to market this show and monetize it. We have just set up our new Twitter account. We'd love to connect with you. All you need to do is go to twitter.com slash oznetwork and click the follow button. See ya. Benjamin Friedman is a research fellow in defense and homeland security at the Cato Institute, and Christopher Priebel is director of foreign policy studies at Cato. Cato is a conservative think tank, and I don't agree with them on a lot of stuff, but I'm with these boys on this. They are also members of the Sustainable Defense Task Force, an ad hoc advisory panel created by representatives Barney Frank and Ron Paul. So you can see we're stretching across the aisle here. And here's why I'm so in agreement with them. Here's what they say, and this is out of Politico. With the Senate close to voting on the defense authorization bill, Congress is poised to pass the largest military budget since World War II, roughly $550 billion, excluding funds for the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. So I don't know, what does that make it? $800 billion? A trillion? Who knows? Despite Obama's professed concern about huge budget deficits, the president has taken no meaningful steps to rein in military spending. Hawks and defense industry trade groups say this spending is essential to U.S. security, but much of Washington's military spending is geared toward defending others and toward the dubious proposition that global stability depends on U.S. military deployments. Right on. If our military had less to do, the Pentagon could spend less, at least $1.22 trillion less over the next 10 years, according to a recent Cato Institute report. Washington confuses what it wants from its military, global primacy or hegemony, with what it needs, safety. Policymakers exaggerate the capability of existing enemies and invent new ones by defining traditional foreign troubles, geopolitical competition among states and instability with, within them, for example, as major U.S. security threats. In nearly all cases, they are not. They are indeed not. 
Afghanistan is not threatening us. Geography, wealth, and nuclear weapons provide us with a degree of safety that our ancestors would envy. Sending large armies to occupy and try to manage the politics of hostile Muslim countries is not effective counterterrorism policy. In most cases, it is counterproductive. Inside the Beltway, these proposals may look radical. But what is really radical is the ambition that now justifies the size of the U.S. military. The idea that America should use its military to secure rich states in perpetuity, arrest disorder in several poor ones simultaneously, police the oceans, skies, and space, and spend the better part of a trillion dollars a year to those ends. Right on! If Washington sheds its pretensions that America is the indispensable nation guiding history and protecting all nations, even greater savings are possible. Like saving our future, like saving the lives of all the Americans that are going to go forth to do these unnecessary and in many cases impossible tasks. All of the money that could be used for building the infrastructure, making us a healthier and more productive and more capable nation. All of that is going down the military rat hole. No, I don't agree with Cato on a lot of their domestic takes. So what? Cato boys, you are right on. I'm 100% behind you. You rock. Well, I think it's uh, time for me to bookend the Iraq war um, since it's supposed to be over, at least uh, it's now called, uh, what is it called? Operation New Dawn. I think I just used that in my dishwasher. Well, the war started in 2003, and this is the, the poem that I wrote on the occasion of the first five days of war, on the last five days of winter. It starts with a little quote from Anonymous, Spring talks like a bird this morning. We must get stoned for the war. One, on the first day of war, Clowns could still laugh just in time. There were still 48 hours, and the plums and cherry trees would still be shedding petals as that cowboy says, Get out of town! Whole nations are ready to fall like flesh-pink petals on the streets of Alibaba. 2. The second night of war. The full moon exposes the bay and flies on. The orange alert pulses in its safe place. Navy aircraft pass over in the night again. And the rustling of forces, their distant quarter million all ears in the night. The bad Baghdadis more awake than all of Los Angeles. The big man's clock ticks blindly on past 24. And you can hear the earthquake's mumble of bombs tuned in and excited to be moving. Heroes strive to be born and smoke or talk of targets like boxes of chocolates to be eaten. This palace, that bonbon, this garden, those thin mints and sour cherries. And all the time I hear the children run. I can hear the children running. Three. The third day begins with sand blowing in the wind. Later, Preston comes out yelling, It says war alert! It isn't Samurai Jack! Instead, it's the world's most dangerous man who's starting the war now, in front of us, because they have fearless leader in their sights. It's go, 
and the valley of Babylon displays its millions of jewels under the yellow lamps on a slippery Euphrates night. 4. Our ears are shut on the fourth day of war. We aren't listening, and there's no information. We have no opinion. We aren't listening. 5. Headlines at 7 on the fifth day. The masters of war seem to hold back our Bible-sized monsters, mothers of all shock and awe, and target their telephones, monsters of evil targeted as they're chatting on the verge. Embedded safely down, we say, it's just like taking out, say, Shrine Auditorium, or just the Kodak with some Grauman's Chinese collateral, only City Hall or the D.C. Mall, and on to where their bully gates seal off their comfort zones. When do we send in Gog and Magog? Or is the Garden of Eden not the place? Boom, boom. Lots of media thunderbolts shooting from the GOP's late summer grassroots thunderstorm. Yeah, grassroots. The only thing grassroots about the Koch brothers, who are joysticking half the doofuses making the noise, is the megalons they own and do not mow, and the toxic roots of their multi-billions that they are loath to share. Clap after clap, headline after headline tagging the sky. Taxes. Health care, abstinence, masturbation, Kenyan anti-colonialism. This wall of anger is remarkable for the tags that are missing. Afghanistan, Pakistan, Taliban, Iraq, collecting fingers, droning insurgents, unwinnable, unaffordable war. How come the nobodies in the George Washington costumes and the camel wife-beater ensembles aren't complaining about the dogs of war? They're still unleashed, taking WikiLeaks on our official explanation for everything. Why aren't they hounding Commander-in-Chief Obama? It's where he's most vulnerable. As a war leader, Barack's a miserable failure. He can run the Harvard Law Review, organize Chicago's South Side, socialize medicine, buy General Motors and sell it back, but he doesn't have a scintilla of West Point or Langley in him. He's an outsider who's inherited a concocted global war on terror run by a militarizing CIA and an increasingly covert DOD. The Tea Party is not giving B. Hussein a pass out of kindness. They hate him the way the right hated FDR. As a child, a friend's mother gave me directions not to the toilet, but the Roosevelt. Fast forward to a parade in central Washington last week where a bunch of yobs ran afloat with a fellow yob in an Obama mask whipping the white guy who was pulling the cart. A chilling shade of medieval mummery that traditionally ends in hellmouth. They hate him all right, but they treat him as if he and his Shabbos goy Petraeus are dispensational and gladly grant them all the time and money in the world to finish what can't be finished and win what can't be won. The baggers are not alone. They are but a subset of the great conformance. Of the 535 members of Congress, only a handful have put a lie to the quagmire of Afghanistan and Pakistan and challenged the endless transfusion of blood and treasure that keeps the monster alive. There is no anti-war movement roiling the streets because it's all so covert and the victims are from the other side of the world or the other side of town. I say... 
end the AFPAC occupation now and kill the deficit hawks and the endless war hawks with one stone, one true stone to take down the Frankenstein that is stalking our future. Governments, your friends, you see, that's what I have to say, or they will bury me. Don't you try to criticize, and don't you ever try to talk about their lies. I don't know what you've been told, but last time I checked, we had the right to say the things we mean and disagree and not have to face the guillotine. But if it's your head in the basket, then you just pick the wrong side of the revolution. Patriot Act is the riot act with a P-A-T What the really means is that they're watching you and that they're really watching me And anyone who disagrees is sure to lose their liberties A patriot has got to keep his mouth shut But if it's your head in the basket then you just pick the wrong side of the revolution King and his army wing, they are hell-bent on the conquest Our enemies on bended knees, they're gonna see it always soon Because the freedom that they steal from us, they try to export overseas And now our former enemies are free to live a life of tyranny the same as you or me And it's a crime to speak your mind And it's a crime, whoa If you heard that plate is gonna You ought to know this shithole called Guantanamo Where the people who we cannot trust Are safely kept away from us Well, we never have to worry if they're guilty or not Because we stick them in a cell and they are soon forgotten And they're out of sight and out of mind and out of luck But if it's your head in the basket Then you just pick the wrong side of the revolution you choose a side to fight forget about who's wrong or right if you like your neck you best as heck start rooting for the winner this brave new world is knocking at your door and you better let it in the constitution's evolution never made a contribution to the revolutionary man it's a crime to speak your mind and it's a crime oh. Heard that 
is this is off uh, Bergman's blog on the Radio uh, Free Oz uh, site, which we welcome you to come up, take a look, read, make some comments, get involved. We're having a lot of fun up there, and it just gets better and better. And this is called Fear and Hate 451. So, Pastor Terry Jones has upped his cue another mega level by going on the Today Show and telling the world he isn't going to throw his 9-11 Koran burning party after all. A patriotic pie in the face to the show's producers for giving in to this toxic wingnut's blackmail. All Terry had to do was threaten a mean, senseless, wildly damaging act that barely qualifies within the Bill of Rights, and bingo! He's on the front page of the Daily Fish Wrap, pumped full of Google juice, huff and puffed, blogged within an inch of his life, and on the couch between Lady Gaga and Sharon Osbourne, telling David, Jay, and Conan why he decided not to put a match to Muhammad. What puts the extra O in this odious scenario is that the Rev did not heed the advice of his president, the general in charge of the AFPAC crusade, every other Christian in Gainesville, and Mama Bear herself until the very last moment. Never mind the mobs in Kabul calling for my death. I am an American. Never mind the brigade of youth turned to jihad because of this egregious provocation. Pastor Pyromaniac has quickened the late summer news cycle and made a thousand column inches bloom. Permitting him to preen and posture on camera as he prepares to put the torch to someone else's truth is a demonstration loud and clear of the resilience and capacity of our democracy, the very product we're importing abroad to millions of someone else's. And in a better world, one in which we gathered up our failed policies and spent uranium and returned home to take care of our own, the story of how we let Terry be Terry in the name of free speech and personal freedom would be told in every girls' school we had built from the Khyber Pass to Kandahar. But no, this flexing of our muscular system of civil liberties was obscured by the chorus of Muslim rhetoric emanating from the nasty crowds at Ground Zero, the troubled mind of Newt Gingrich, and the poisonous preachings of Franklin Graham, among others. Oh, that Billy had not given us his only son. What's next? Surely Reverend Terry's public relations triumph has produced a litter of copycats. They're going to have to belly up and lift the bar of desecration if they expect to get any respect from the jaded pharaohs of journalism. The resources are there. Just browse the slideshow from Abu Ghraib. All it takes is a little imagination and a willing press. See you on the other side. Ideological purity. Oh, I love it. Oh, doesn't that make the chills run up and down your spine? And, In the and wrong just, direction. Yeah, yeah, I'm afraid so. Well, ideological purity is, uh, there's, a, there's a big issue out there of ideological purity. I'll get to Jim DeMint sometime along the line, but let's start with this poor guy from Saudi Arabia where, um, you know, okay, gay diplomat, okay? An openly gay Saudi Arabian diplomat, you're in real trouble right there. Yes. In Los Angeles, who requested asylum in late August, said he had received death threats since making it public on Saturday a week or so ago that he had asked to be allowed to stay in the United States. The diplomat, Ali Ahmad Aseri, was still awaiting word from American officials on his application and said he feared execution if he returned to his country. My life is in great danger here, he wrote in this letter. And if I go back to Saudi Arabia, they will kill me openly in broad daylight. 
I want my voice to be heard, and I want them to know that I am not alone. This poor guy in Los Angeles, he's not alone. I mean, he just goes to West L.A., and he's in good company. He can just stand anywhere, and he won't be alone. (laughs) On the phone uh, Tuesday, uh, Mr. Aseri said he had received several threats on his life this week since posting comments on a popular Arabic website that criticized, quote, militant imams. We got him here too, pal. And threatened to expose embarrassing information about Saudi uh, royalty living in the United States. Oh, boy, don't Don't get it. Don't do that. Don't even go there. No, that's the problem. That makes fatwas look like mosquito bites. So he's he's waiting. He's waiting. The last Saudi diplomat granted asylum in the United States back in 1994 was the first secretary to the Saudi mission, and he criticized uh, Saudi Arabia's human rights record and got out of the country immediately after that. So this poor, this, I mean, there we are. Saudi Arabia, let's buy more oil. I, I was going to say, not only buy let's more oil, but th- this is a country where you have to run away from if you, if you criticize their human rights or say you're gay, and we're just about to send them, what, $60 billion worth of arms? Or is that 90? I'll have to check with Rush Limbaugh. This is really not a good idea, friends. I mean, come on. Of course I know how small a state Delaware is, but I never figured out how many small mines reside there. They've nominated a candidate to run for the Senate on the GOP ticket, don't tell Abe Lincoln, his casket RPMs are redlining already, who under any other circumstances would be labeled demented light and laughed off the stage. But this is the fall and soon winter of our discontent, and Christine O'Donnell makes a whole lot of sense to people who have very little of their own. Okay, she denies evolution and claims the big guy made the world in six 24-7s. No surprise. Her party tried to put a woman in the White House, one myocardial heartbeat away from the button, who claims to have seen fossils commingled with the feet of giant dinosaurs and little children, proving they frolicked together in the scriptures not too distant past. Okay, she thinks abstinence is a workable solution despite all the statistics and single mothers to the contrary. No biggie. Christine knows statistics are the foot soldiers of secular science who serve only the elite and their minions of smarter-than-thou intellectuals. Okay, she claims masturbation is sexual perversion despite millions of happy testimonials from those of us who beat off to a different drum. None of her wacko ways disqualify her from running for office. What they would do in a better and saner time would disqualify her in the minds of any voter who took the time to figure out that putting an ignorant, Bible-crazed, no disrespect to the Bible, it's the crazed part that's worrisome. Retro cheerleader in the Senate is reckless and stupid. Imagine making her one of the 100 votes that peoples the Supreme Court, funds the war on the not-me, giveth or taketh away the bread from the needy, and stands guard with our founding fathers at the sacred border between church and state. Should she ascend to the senior chamber, she might find bird brains of a feather if Rand Paul, rumored to be the love child of Ron Paul and Ayn Rand, and Sharon Angle surf home on this wave of fear and anger. Christine can join Jim Inhofe and hotly deny global warming, help what's left of John McCain finish that dang fence, and compliment a feast of choice tax cuts for the rich with an after-dinner Jim DeMint. Remember, little minds can achieve great things if great minds do little to stop them. Well, that's it. Here's your keys. Goodbye, friends, and happy motoring back on the freeway, which is already in progress. 
Recently, I was uh, I was watching some television. Oh, uh, well, there was your mistake right there, Pete. Late at night. Well, I was hanging out with my girlfriend. We're watching a little television, and on comes this show called The Gates, right? And, what, and it's about vampires, no surprise. Everything on television now is about vampires, and there's a good reason. First of all, uh, most of the Republicans turn out to be vampires, so there's a built-in audience. Yeah, right? yeah. They live off other people's blood, and the fact that they're going to nibble away at a health care bill to keep everybody sick sounds like vampires mm. to me. But here's the good news about vampires. All you have to do is say somebody's a vampire, and that explains their bad overacting, because that's, that's how you play vampires. You overact, right? Which means cheap actors and actresses, these people are not. And this is an ABC show, and you suddenly realize that the market is shrinking so for the networks. And we kept hearing about it, but it's really true. They no longer dominate the way they used to. So the money isn't there for these hour shows. This, the million, the two million, the 10 million, or the 20. It's cheap. So all that happens in this show is people look darkly at each other Right, because they're vampires. Yeah. There's one special effect. This girl in a, in a sundress is 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 seducing this guy, thinking she's not a vampire, so it won't be a problem. She's been cured, right? Like being cured of homosexuality because it's just a uh, an identity disorder. And all of a sudden, this special effect appears on her back. These kind of like veins. She sucks all the energy out of them. So somebody else has to come in. The music has to start again, and she saves the boy by killing him and bringing him back as a vampire. And I thought. This is the cheapest show I have ever seen. And if they weren't vampires, if they turned out to be just like n- nasty people, wouldn't work. Couldn't pull no, it off. No, no, no. But, but this is just one example. I mean, did you, did you channel surf? Did you look around? This, is, this last week or this week is the opening of the television season. Yes. Every day the New York Times has another three or four thrilling reviews of programs about fat people. Fat people. New very good. program about fat people. Yeah. Uh, uh, you have to go, if you really want to spend that $10 billion, you got to go to home box office and you know, and see so, Steve Buscemi trying to, you know, yeah. trying to lead the mob or whatever he's doing. Yeah, well, it, it's, it's Jersey Shore a uh, hundred years ago, you know, or whatever. Yep. Uh, no, it's uh, that's where the money's going. His money is not going into these uh, shows. They're getting, they are, they're getting cheaper and cheaper. But you know, the one thing that you got to remember about uh, television sitcoms is that they were classically overlit. Yes. Uh, overacted because right. everything had to be really very clear to people. And often overwritten, underwritten and overwritten Un- under, at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Lots of writing, not much comedy, lots of canned laughter. And the canned laughter is back. It is back. Yes. It is back. It's back with the fat people. It's not back with the guy that's who's hung that because he's on, uh, you know, he's on that other channel. It's not back with the guy. How about the one where this guy's a serial killer and a policeman? This is like the fifth season. He's killing people's butt. I mean, Do you mean Dexter? I mean I, when Dexter. I, when, they, when they first announced Dexter, I know I'm going to sound like a curmudgeon. I'm going to take the curmudgeon out, which is I said, I am not watching a show about a serial killer. You know, and he's a really good actor, too, that guy who stars as Dexter. Well, that's not my problem because I, do, I have never watched it. But I said, a serial killer who has redeeming aspects. No, I'm sorry. that I won't go that far. Oh, one other thing about the, the vampire thing, which is really interesting, is that I closed my eyes. I had to. Who could watch it? <laughs> and I noticed that each scene, halfway through, the music, the dark music would begin. Every scene started dry. And then about halfway through, the dark music began. So I thought, oh, I got it, I got it. The canned music, the, uh, the non-acting, da 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 we Welcome to happening. the gates of new television. Eh, well, I fell asleep. You know, it's cheaper than a pill. One, two, three. 
doodly 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 do. Oh, the trend, my favorite transition. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Well, Pete. Okay, so the thorn in the US government side grows larger. It's always, you know, it's very mm. kind of Christ-like to talk about thorns insides of the government. WikiLeaks announced via Twitter that it has a copy of Operation Dark Heart, the war memoir that the Pentagon has purchased thousands of copies of and destroyed. They had to get a lot of marijuana that they would to get this fire going. His books don't burn easily. Oh, but and, and get, pages from the Quran. They got those from yeah, Randall Terry. Oh, yeah, that'll do it. Burn all the books you want, Nazi punks. We already have a copy, read WikiLeaks tweet. Uh, that was a nice tweet. Yeah, that's burn a good all one. the books you want, Nazi punks. We already have a copy. The Pentagon claims the book in which Lieutenant Colonel Anthony Schaefer recounts his experiences in Afghanistan leading a black ops team revealed information that could damage national security or just make them look like the, the I won't even say it, that they are. The black ops. The black ops that they are. Bad yeah. cops, black ops. Yeah. Mm-mm. Wow. Well, WikiLeaks is, you know, putting the thorn in the side, man. Well, I think that uh, – I think that – Tweet may have been part of the reason that uh, the guy, the, one of the spokesmen for WikiLeaks, just uh, quit his job. A, yeah. a German fellow with a. Uh, uh, but he a, said he did it over him. Assange. That, that that Assange was tyrannical. And, well, that's a pretty tyrannical thing, you well, know. We don't know we if this is a, we don't know if this Nazi is Assange. I mean, we don't know if this is Assange's tweet. Yeah, yeah it doesn't that could exactly be. sound like him. No, you know? well, I mean a, that's the surprising tone here. But and but the fact is, can anybody tweet for for WikiLeaks, or do you have to like have admin access to their tweet site? Who knows who did it, right? Can WikiLeaks. Anybody, can come anybody leak for WikiLeaks? Come on, there's a. T- Song. Can anybody leak for WikiLeaks? I don't know. It sounds like, well, maybe we should just be working on a margarine ad or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think you're, you're we, in the mood. I'm, I am. I am. Something yeah. like oligomargarine, that yeah. yellow stuff. Yeah, right. To put okay. little packets With in. the WikiLeaks. Uh, do, 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 do. There we go. Doodly 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 How about that, Christine O'Donnell? She has leapt out of a well deserved obscurity and joined Sarah Palin. Sharon Angle and Michelle Bachman atop the Mount Rushmore of ultra-right-wing ladies. You might ask why Phyllis Schlafly, the demagogue of the Eagle Foundation, isn't up there with them. After all, Texas replaced Thomas Jefferson with Phyllis in their school history curriculum, and that ought to get her already chiseled face chiseled up there with the other femme fatales of American fascism. But Phyllis is too old school and just doesn't have the requisite cue. Not so our gal Christine. She has vaulted up the steps of the Temple of Christian Politics. I spell Christian with a small c because there's not a drop of Christ in it. Proudly waving all the buzzword banners of her reactionary cult. To Christine, homosexuality is an identity disorder. Masturbation is adultery. AIDS victims have only themselves to blame. Abortion is a crime, even in cases of rape and incest. And the U.S. is already mired in socialism. When she ran for the Senate in 2006, she heard, quote, the audible voice of God, who probably told her she was going to take a shellacking, but promised she would be carried to victory in 2010 by all the Delaware nutcases who feared his wrath should they fail to elect his anointed. Divine intervention is one explanation for Christine's remarkable victory. But there is another, more ominous scenario. When Chris was dating witches back in high school and doing the nasty on bloodstained satanic altars, did she make a pact with the darkest pack of them all? 
Is Lucifer managing her run for the roses? Is that why Karl Rove is so all over her? Does a whiff from O'Donnell's sulfurous campaign remind Carl of his old mentor, whose black art served him so well in the White House? Is the Rovester jealous now that the Flymaster has chosen Christine's dung pile of smears and lies to hatch his eggs? Stay tuned. The soap opera has just begun. Well, you know, recently we did a whole thing on Colonel Saunders and the fact that nobody knows who, who he is. And I told the story of meeting him at the other end of his cane when I was chasing a girlfriend's hat at LAX, <laughs> the real guy. Well, now KFC wants folks to watch its backside, David. This is out of USA I've been, Today. I've been watching the chicken's backside for years. Go ahead. Or more precisely, the backsides of female college students. It's recruiting to promote its new bunless double-down sandwiches. Oh, no. Come on. Here it comes. You're kidding me. Women on college campuses are being paid $500 each to hand out coupons while wearing fitted sweatpants with double-down in large letters across their rear ends. May I go? I, I know, I know. Yeah, the promo. I can't stop you. Go. The promo comes as KFC is in the doldrums domestically. I think mentally also. <laughs> the world's largest chicken chain's U.S. same store sales fell seven percent in the second quarter. Nearly all of its growth now is in international expansion, i.e., China and India. Yeah. Last week, the chain confessed, that's like what you do to a crime, probably, <laughs> that more than 6 in 10 Americans ages 18 to 25, the chain's key demographic, couldn't identify who Colonel Saunders was in the KFC logo. That's because they've turned it into a total, like, non-person logo. It could be yeah, anybody. Yeah. We turned him into Chairman Mao, and you can't tell the difference. <laughs> now, it's turning to cute women parading around campuses with double down emblazoned across their fannies. Okay, that's that's what they're doing thus far. Well, in our day in college, those same cute girls used to hand out packs of free cigarettes. But they didn't have anything on their backs. No, they didn't. Except jeans. They wouldn't have done that. The nation's largest women's group doesn't like it one bit. It's so obnoxious to once again be using women's bodies to sell fundamentally unhealthy products, says Terry O'Neill, president of the National Organization for Women. What's more, she says, KFC has forgotten something important. Women make more than half the decisions about what to eat for dinner, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, but KFC marketing chief John Sawinski says it's an effective way to catch the attention of young men, KFC's key customers and the biggest fans of Double Down. Ah, but, but brand guru Jonathan Salem Baskin whoever that may be. Uh, one of those says, people they talk There's to. nothing inherently wrong with using women to attract guys, but in this case, it's irrelevant to the product. KFC would be KFC would do better, he says, to follow the McDonald's model. Clean up your stores, fix the menu, and please people with the food you make. Yeah, you think yeah, that might well, make a difference? I don't think I think I, I I think so long as they keep guys looking at girls' butts and fixing the words double down. Yeah. Double, double down, down on down, me, baby. Double down on, I mean, come on. Sure, I yeah, by all means, KFC. Keep it dirty. Keep those chickens in prison. But, but Double down on but, them buns. Mm -hmm, yum.